Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Morning wake-up call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake-Up Call only on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on the Hofstra Morning Wake-Up Call do not reflect the views of 88.7 FM WRHU and its management, Hofstra University, as well as its board of trustees. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Everybody, you're listening to 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University on the morning wake-up call here over in Hempstead, New York. We got Kevin and myself here today. We're only going to do an hour for you. We still got a lot jam-packed going into here. Uh, we actually have an interview with Dr. Andrea Gerlach on the UN Water Conference coming up. Uh, and also some uh, news on Ted Lasso Season 3 for an update through there. Uh, so while we have spring break right now, we're not taking a break in the action here. So feel free to go and listen uh, when we come back on that. And welcome back, everybody. Again, you're listening to the Morning Wake Up Call here on 88.7 FM, Radio Hosh University. It's myself, Luke Farrell, and Kevin Bunk here today. We're going to have a good show for you, so we're going to have that going. But first, Kevin, how's that spring break going? How are you feeling so far? Spring break's good, but like you just said, morning show never stops. For the Tuesday show, we haven't all been together in about a month. Every week, something else comes up. There's another obstacle. Luke, though, great producer, always hey, makes it work. And great talent on the show always makes it work. And we, uh, we're we here, just the two of us today, and we'll make it work again. That's right. That's like Bill Withers and Grover Washington Jr. said, just the two Absolutely. of us. So that's definitely good. Any uh, any good plans for the week? I know we already were talking about stuff, but anything like that? I mean, it's mostly just staying on campus, being busy with stuff. I have work that, you know, we're, obviously we're here today. I know you're one of the busiest people on Hofstra campus. Uh, I have work that I do here with the Islanders at night. So nice. It's a um, it's a it's a busy week. Yeah, that's good. I know we actually have our interviewee on the line right now, but first we're gonna get to our news and weather before we get to that. So Kevin, feel free to take it away for what we got over here. What we got? So locally, a couple headlines for you is Long Island school taxes will rise an estimated 2.2 percent for the 2023-24 year. Nassau County will begin placing Narcan kits in all county parks and offices. And New York City's final one-dollar slice of pizza has now finally fallen to inflation, and the slice now costs 1.50. This is at Two Bros Pizza. What, what are you telling me? There's no one dollar slices anymore. It's over. The era no. of the one dollar slice is officially over. Oh my gosh! You know, I went to New York City for a pizza a little while back, and it was well, it was a, a good deal though. It was like six ninety nine for two slices and a drink. It was pretty good. But I was like, dang, no more one dollar slices. What it's what are over. you gonna do? Oh my gosh! Terrible. That is that. You know what's not over though? The weather's not over. Do you know what the weather's looking like for today? Yes, for today's weather forecast, which is never over. It's currently 34 degrees outside of our studios here at Hofstra, and up in the sky, the rest of the day should be sunny with an expected high of 57 degrees during the day and a low of 34 once again in the evening. You know that that's good. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Not uh, snow. Not oh my gosh. Not snow. Not any crazy sun going on, which is good. We got a good temperate temperature going on, so definitely good to see for that. If anything else, uh, nevertheless, I know what we're also going to see is with our interviewee we have on the line for us. Uh, so granted, uh, one big conference is actually going on in New York City, uh, starting tomorrow and running over till Friday, which I believe that's what the 24th is. Uh, that's where we're going to have the UN Water Conference going on. Uh, so granted, of course, water is an essential part of life, anything of that nature. Uh, but granted, the UN's actually going to be holding the conference for the first time since 1977 uh, over there in New York. Uh, so to talk about this instance and other aspects of the conference itself uh, is Dr. Andrea Gerlach for the director of the Udall Center for Studies and Public Policy and professor in the School of Geography, Environment, Development and Environment at the University of Arizona. So welcome, Dr. Gerlach. How are we doing today? Great. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. 
No worries. So just just to give us a brief background and things like that, obviously the first UN Water Conference was in 1977, as we said, but why has it taken so long for the conference to occur again? And then what's your own uh, stake in the conference itself? Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for asking. These are great questions. Well, it has been 50 years since there's been a global conference on water, and it's super important that they're doing this now and convening it here by the UN General Assembly and hosting it in New York. And you know, these conferences actually are kind of rare, aside from the climate meetings that we see happening, you know, the last one in, well, the last big one in Paris, aside from climate, we don't really have these big conferences where we bring people from around the world. So it's pretty rare, but it's pretty exciting. And, you know, it isn't to say that lots of good folks haven't been working on water. They certainly have been for the last 50 years. It's just taken this long to kind of bring everyone together in a big forum like this again. And it's not just all these international folks who are coming to New York this week, but New York is hosting its own water week so the city of new york is sponsoring a water week as well and i'm sure folks around the city will see all these you know a bike ride in central park on saturday and film screenings and art exhibits and debates so there's a lot happening around water in new york this week and i'm really thrilled to to be here and be part of it dr gerlach thanks so much for coming on with us i was just curious if you could walk us through the process of how yourself and your team are able to become a part of this conference Great. So, you know, big meetings like this that are convened by the UN, really, they're about bringing high-level government officials together. So you see people representing countries all over the world coming in, right? That's what the work of the UN is. So you see countries big and small and rich and poor being represented. But um, And what that helps do is it brings all these different country representatives together to learn from one another, their accomplishments, their struggles. People begin to see that they have a lot more in common than you might think. But you know, it's not just governments who work on water. There's private sector companies who build our infrastructure and do water quality testing. There are nonprofits like NGOs who fund projects and do on the ground work in cities you know, all across the world. There's university researchers like myself who are trying to build partnerships and conduct research and you know, really better understand understand how all these policies that we're creating, how they work, where they don't work. So the conference really isn't just about government representatives. It's about all these other actors who come together. So there's an application process, there's vetting, there's a team from the University of Arizona. You know, we started the process like six months ago to really be able to be here and participate. And these conferences have gotten much more inclusive about having lots of folks at the table, not just countries, not just the formal governments themselves. And if the UN isn't actually covering a topic or hosting a meeting in the UN generalist, you know, in the complex, the UN complex itself, then folks just arrange their own meeting venues all across the city. So there are meetings at Columbia University today, and later during the week, there'll be meetings at Environmental Defense Headquarters. So pretty much all across the city, folks will be convening their own meetings. So they call them side events. So it's everything that's happening in the UN complex, but lots of other things across the city as well so we're really happy that universities are allowed to participate and come and share what we share what we know and then learn of course and bring bring a lot of these lessons back home to our own communities and dr gerlach you mentioned a lot of those topics and events that'll be happening what, what are some examples of things that either you yourself are participating in or other aspects of the conference that are going to be involved yeah, I mean, there's going to be lots of diverse issues covered here. I mean, when you look at the agenda, there's, you know, everything from how we manage international waters, you know, something like 60% of the people around the world live in a watershed that's international, you know, that's shared with another country. I do. I live in Tucson, Arizona, and we share the Colorado River with Mexico. So I live in an international river basin. All the folks, you know, who live in the Great Lakes region, you know, we share that with Canada. So again, kind of these transboundary or international rivers. So there's lots of those kind of discussions going on. People from the Mekong, the Nile, like lots of these basins around the world. There's a lot of issues around sanitation. Sanitation is still a big challenge around the world. Something like four billion and people still lack access to sanitation. So that's a big issue. Lots of issues around women and the role of women in water access, affordability, indigenous communities. So right after I get off this call, I'm going to a big workshop on water diplomacy. And you know, there'll be someone there who's a chairperson from a tribal nation. There'll be a representative from the US Department of State. There'll be um, a representative from the Ministry of Uganda. And then of course, some of my colleagues from the University of Arizona. There's also all sorts of networking activities that they put on to kind of put people in spaces where they can talk and dialogue and build partnerships. And there's a really exciting event that I'm interested in attending. Some researchers 
out of this initiative called New Wave out of Europe, which is a handful of young researchers doing research on water issues around the world, coming to share their lessons. And it's very much about how do you do research that actually has impact, that has meaning in the world. So how do you study things and engage with governments and other actors to really kind of bring about some real change? So there's a lot of really exciting events and not a lot of time for sleep. So water diplomacy and access and sanitation for everyone, you just talked about, and that's one of the goals of the United Nations. What do you see as the biggest specific threat and or issue regarding that water access? Yeah, I mean, water access has been on the agenda now for the past couple decades. And the, the big challenge with it is just chronic underinvestment in infrastructure. We just haven't really invested in infrastructure around the world. And we've seen when the UN and other actors come together over the last two decades, like they have around the Millennium Development Goals or the Sustainable Development Goals, we could like make real progress. We've seen real progress around access to water and access to sanitation. But there's still big gaps. I mean, 2 billion people without access to safe drinking water, 4 billion people without access to sanitation. And we expect global demand for water on the rise to, to increase. So it's on the rise. We know climate change is really kind of working to exacerbate some of this shortage. And in the U.S., we've really seen it. I mean, I think, you know, I've been studying water for 30 years now. And for the U.S., we, we really thought there weren't these kind of challenges at home for a long time and we haven't been investing in our infrastructure and COVID really kind of brought a lot of these issues to, to the forefront for us. And we were able to see, you know, my colleagues at the U.S. Water Alliance have been doing a lot of research and doing studies and saying, look, there's water access issues in the U.S. There's affordability issues. You know, if we haven't invested in infrastructure and we have to start doing it, we need money to do that. We need technology. We need expertise. And the federal government is certainly helping. There's a new infrastructure bill. But we're going to see water bills increase across a lot of cities in the U.S. as we start to try to meet these challenges. So it's availability and access to water, of course, because drought and other conditions help that or worsen that but it's also getting clean water places like new york you have a good water supply but how do you keep water clean and reliable and there's a lot of pollutants out there in our environment now and a lot of challenges with technology and and resources to really kind of bring clean water into people's homes so there's there's big challenges here at home too this really isn't just a, a global issue that happens in some other poor part of the world it's happening right here in the u.s and Dr. Gerlach, you already mentioned, obviously, university professors, government administrators are going to be around at the conference. So with every all the topics and everything that's going to be going on, what is necessarily going to be your biggest takeaway from this conference itself? Well, I'm, you know, it's like I'm a kid in a candy store. I mean, I woke up, I could hardly sleep last night. I woke up really early. I can't wait to get out the door. I mean, there there are lots of folks here thinking about water, how to work on water and really open, like really open to new conversations, to learning things. So I'm kind of excited for the unexpected, the new faces, the new efforts. And there are a lot of youth initiatives at this event. So lots of young people from around the world and from right here in New York City that are here to share their stories, to to kind of demand action. And it really makes you hopeful and feel good about the world. And um, I'm really hoping that this conference leads to future collaborations for me personally, but also makes governments more committed, that we put some more funding you know, into the mix to really solve some of these challenges. On a mainstream level, water research and issues globally regarding water, like we've talked about this whole interview, are not really mentioned how come people should begin to start caring about this and what would be your pitch to say that it's more important than most of us realize? Yeah, I mean, we focus on the science around water. We do a really great job with that. Like we study climate change and we try to, I mean, most people are going to experience climate change through water, right? Either too much with big storm surges or not enough with drought. And so this is kind of how we're going to be living and experiencing climate change is really going to be through water. So we're really good at kind of that work. We're, we're good about the pollutants and the chemical work about figuring out what the quality of our water is like, and then trying to figure out what technology, you know, just pharmaceuticals think about in our water supply and trying to figure out what the technologies are to kind of really mitigate that so we can have good, clean, healthy water. We haven't been as great around the social science bits. There's really great like questions in economics and political science and anthropology and geography about kind of how our policies work, like what's working, what's not working. Do we need regulation? 
education? Do we need more incentives? How do you how do you get people to change behaviors and change habits? Um, how can we make you know these big investments that we're making now in infrastructure? How can we make sure that we're doing it in really fair, equitable, sustainable ways? I mean, we don't want to build you know infrastructure that's not going to last. That isn't that isn't thinking, you know, in equitable and sustainable ways. And so I think university researchers can play a really big role in, in thinking about what's working out there, what we're already doing and how is it working, and then helping talk about what are some new solutions and what are pathways forward to do things maybe a little bit differently to really kind of solve the problems of tomorrow. And Dr. Gerlach, before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to add anywhere our listeners can contact you if need be, and then anything else you'd like to mention? Well, you can you can find my email. You can find me online. I'd be happy to continue the conversation. I'm really happy you all are hosting conversations like this and get out there this week and learn a little bit more about water. You're really lucky. You live in a city that really has has really made good investments and really prides itself on a really good, clean, reliable water supply. So celebrate what you've done and kind of learn what's happening around the world. There's a, certainly a lot to be learned. And a lot of all of us can definitely learn on this aspect as well. But that's Dr. Andrea Gerlach from the Udall Center from the University of Arizona. Dr. Gerlach, thanks again for joining us today. Have a great day. Thanks. And otherwise, we're going to take a break at uh, Granted Good to be Chasing Waterfalls for TLC before we get back on the air after that. So we'll see you then. The frequency, 88.7 FM. The call letters, WRHU. The website, WRHU.org. Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. Morning Wake Up Call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. And of course, TLC over there with Waterfalls. And welcome back again to the morning show on WRHU. Uh, granted, I know we had a lot of international talk there before with Dr. Gerlach on the UN Water Conference, and we're going to stick to that notion right now. Uh, granted, because a lot of international news, especially regarding uh, President Xi Jinping's visit over to Russia over there on that end. Uh, so granted, uh, the Chinese president had vi- visited Russian President Vladimir Putin uh, at the Kremlin itself over there in Russia. Of course, after Putin was actually issued uh, an ICC warrant for his arrest regarding uh, crimes against humanity and war crimes uh, regarding the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, granted, the trip itself, expected the last three days for both the major superpowers, uh, have described it as an opportunity to deepen their, quote, no-limits friendship, end quote. Uh, a major topic that is expected to be thoroughly discussed on this trip is China's proposal for resolving the crisis in Ukraine, as Russian leadership has, quote, studied closely the proposals. That's via CNN. Uh, the relationship between the two powers has also been described as, quote, a marriage of convenience, not affection, uh, by John Kirby, of course, national security spokesperson over there, uh, where he appeared appear on CNN during that time. Uh, to continue on that quote, Kirby had said, these are two countries that don't have a heck of a whole lot of trust between one another, but they find common cause in pushing back on the West and pushing back on American leadership, end quote. U.S. officials will be monitoring this trip very closely as members of the Biden administration have expressed concerns about potential calls for a ceasefire at this time. Kirby then said the U.S. would, quote, reject any ceasefire motions as he described the, quote, a ceasefire called right now would basically just ratify, would just ratify, rather, Russia's conquest and give Mr. Putin more time to really equip and retain, retrain and restart operations at a time and a place of his choosing, end quote. Uh, granted, I know that uh, at least China and Russia have usually had um, interesting relations there regarding BRICS, of course, which is the, uh, I guess, multilateral conglomerate of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, believe it or not, all those five nations in there uh, with that partnership. But I don't really know how far this necessarily goes in terms of uh, regarding anything, but I think it's definitely a cause for concern, if need be, to see what happens in that space. I think at the very least it's just a nice flex of – for both nations will work together like you said in the in the read through their two superpowers they show up they're just a picture of the two leaders alone shows the power that they have that they could have but it's really incredible that the war in ukraine has gotten to this point because based on the size of the nations and what we thought initially this was going to be this was supposed to be a 3 or 4 month conquest Yep. And it has gone on over a year now, and every couple weeks it f- does still feel like Ukraine just it's too much to handle because it is. You can only do so much in that situation, but they have it's it's incredible that this is still a topic because of how resilient they have fought 
as a nation. Yeah, it's just slogging on, though, at this point. I mean, like you said, you really were only supposed to expect a little bit uh, even there. But granted, what can you do? Um, I'll just add a little bit here, at least from the AP, it's about 32 minutes ago. Uh, but actually, the Japanese Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, had actually gone to Kiev. And so they're actually they're actually in there uh, in Ukraine right now. So I guess even more world leaders uh, showing up uh, in Ukraine, but also Russia as well, right? So you kind of see that dynamic and how different that could be also. You have to get to a point where diplomacy and just coming to a decision that's talking it out and something political, as much as I understand the ceasefire notion, they don't want to cease fire, and that would just put an end to all the hard work that Ukraine has put in, and, and so on and so forth. But I think you have to consider the lives that are lost every day in this, how many innocent people have died, just beautiful cities destroyed in this. You see the images before and afters of cities in Ukraine, villages in Ukraine. The schools that get blown schools, up. Schools, exactly. Yeah. It's just horrifying. So at some point... This is never going to end if somebody doesn't step in and end it. So maybe political, you have to kind of bite the bullet and say, what are we willing to lose to keep the people that are already alive alive and try to start rebuilding at that point? Whether, you know, no matter who's rebuilding. But like I said, a lot of resiliency, a lot of tough decisions to be made over the next couple of weeks. This was uh, from the Japanese Foreign Ministry on uh, Prime Minister Kishida's visit. Uh, it said, quote, uh, Kishida will, quote, show respect to the courage and patience of the Ukrainian people who are standing up to defend their homeland under President Zelensky's leadership and show solidarity and unwavering support for Ukraine as head of Japan and chairman of G7 uh, through there as well. So granted, I guess some partnership through there with the West, but then it's like, what do you do? Because now here's China and Russia coming through on these mega superpowers and what they're trying to work for as well. But then you see uh, countries like Norway, I just I know they already sent out some Leopold tanks through there for Ukraine. So I don't really know where the balance is through that. There's so many players in this now that are it's not just Russia versus Ukraine and and them trying to conquer the state. But there's just so many different nations involved. I just hope it doesn't go any further, and we all do. Hope that this doesn't turn into something a lot bigger, and I know a lot of people worried about that initially, and throughout there's been a couple scares, but you just hope that it stays where it's at right now and hopefully gets better because, like I said, the loss of lives, it's horrifying because it's not any better than it was just because we don't hear about it as much in the news anymore. It's not any better than it was eight months ago, 12 months ago. It's just as bad. It's just as as deadly and there's just as many people being misplaced and moved all over taken out of their homes homes being destroyed it's i'm ready to see this be over in any way shape or form but then think about like what what happens post-war right what what is the rebuilding process at that point if there is even a real rebuilding process really i mean i don't know where you really go from that if anything and then how do you get a not even a ceasefire but an end to the war like you said a ceasefire is only one aspect right you could have a ceasefire for what two days and they keep fighting after that so i mean i don't know where the balance is with and if you come to that political solution where you talk it out and you come up with something a hundred percent of that time or 100% of the results of that political solution is Russia is going to control Ukraine, it seems. I don't see a way that diplomacy happens without that being the result. So that the Ukraine people have shown that they are totally willing to fight for their their nation. And so I don't – it's tough because, like you said, how many different paths can happen post-war – how many different paths to diplomacy are there and to ending the war? And there's really not a ton of good ones. No one really wins. There's not a win-win situation, not a good compromise for anyone because somebody is going to be oppressed and really f regret the last year of actions, and it's going to feel like it was all for nothing. So it's a very tough situation, Yeah, as all war is. I know. Another situation that people are putting up a fight for, at least in one respect, uh, is, of course, uh, former President Trump po possibly, again, this we, there's no indication as of yet, uh, but possibly being indicted uh, on those charges for hush money payments over there as well. Uh, so granted, I know at least they've had the NYPD a bit setting up for security purposes over the weekend for that instance and things like that. Uh, so definitely something to look out for on the interim. There is no news as of just yet, of course, uh, but something we're still keeping in mind through there. But, but I'm curious, Kevin, let's say in the event this does happen. 
how how does it play out? Because I was reading at least I think it was like yesterday or so how well you know usually when people get you know indicted and arrested they'll go and have handcuffs put on them, but then it's like it's a former president. Are they really going to put handcuffs on them? Are they going to let him just walk uh, through to get his fingerprints and get his mugshots going? Like if that happens again, but how how does that work? It's really fascinating. I was thinking about that when he put the the statement out mm-hmm. saying that he's probably going to be arrested, and who knows how he knows that, if it's true, whatever. But I was thinking about that. I don't think we'd see it at all. I don't think there would be any visual of him being arrested. And I don't think there's going to be this great civil unrest January 6th incident again either because – I could be wrong. I don't know how many supporters he has remaining like he did three years ago, two years ago, when the election was going on and in the wake of the election. I don't know how many die-hard supporters he has. He definitely would still get good voting numbers if he uh, ran for president. In the city the other day, oh, there were a lot of people out there, though. On there the were. So was... now I don't know how to gauge whether or not he still has that same following. Are they all going to wake up again and start going out? So I have no idea what it's going to look like. But seeing the NYPD, the way they're preparing for it, makes me think I'm wrong, and he does have a much greater following than myself and a lot of others think at this current point in time. There was one one thing that was interesting. It was in the New York Times, and it was this reporter who had said that apparently if uh, Trump doesn't, uh, doesn't, I guess, give in, if anything, although he's, he's given indication that he would, but if he didn't, then Governor Ron DeSantis would have to decide to extradite him to New York. And so then you have that whole like political rivalry aspect to it and how that would play out. That's uh, very interesting. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to see happen, though. I want to see him make that decision. That's the real WrestleMania right there. It gotta, really is. You got to look out for that. But I, I don't know how far the case really goes in this instance. Like, let, let's say he does get arrested. Let's say there is, and again, there there has been indication there has been this, you know, hush money payments and stuff to Stormy Daniels and others in that instance. But how much do you go off of that? You know, I mean, I, I don't know what, like, what's the jail time for it? Like, what's the in, initial indication? Obviously, it was a, it's a former president of the United States, of course, and that's a whole different territory. Even Nixon never really had that much in there. I mean, sure, he had his, you know, debt and everything like that. But other than that, there wasn't really any criminal charges that much against him for anything. That's the whole factor of all of this is, I mean, first of all, how many celebrities can we assume? Not with, not, I'm not saying... How many specific names can we assume they made hush money payments and they got away with it? Just you have to assume that a lot of people have and there haven't been any repercussions. But how is Trump treated as a former president? Or I, I don't know how he's even viewed by the government, by society at this point, because he's all over the place. Some people some people treat him as the current president. Yep. So how do you even gauge his influence on the political system and how he can still pull strings as a former president because he certainly doesn't have the pull of whether democrat or republican former president like a george bush or barack obama he doesn't have the pull that they have i wouldn't think but who knows but i i know at least one thing is that there will be secret service with him if that's the case uh, if he does get arraigned which would definitely be a sight to see if anything uh, to show through there as well. So we'll see how that goes. But granted, I know we have a bit more of some uh, local news to get to, if anything, on this 7.30 spot. So we're going to start a little bit early on there uh, to go in through that. Uh, but granted, uh, I know we already had a lot of like bank failures and things like that going on in society. Of course, we had like, crypto and whatnot uh, going through a little bit. But now we also have uh, some cybersecurity breaches going on. So I guess everything in the tech world is going kaput at this point. Uh, but granted, uh, Topspin Partners, which is a venture capital firm in Roslyn Heights over here on the island, uh, was the victim of a cybersecurity breach, according to government filings reported by Newsday uh, in there as well. Uh, so Topspin Partners is back is a backed uh, Long Island startups, including uh, Codagenics Inc., which is a Farmingdale-based synthetic biology company for testing uh, COVID-19 vaccines for the World Health Organization and other spots 
Uh, and granted, they reported the cybersecurity breach uh, over in Massachusetts on March 12th. Uh, Massachusetts itself requires organizations to notify consumers whose information might be at risk uh, for any uh, credit breaches and things like that. Uh, and granted, uh, unlike many states, Massachusetts though publishes reports viewable to the public that details most of these data break-ins, uh, including whether social security numbers have been compromised uh, for any personal um, identification numbers there. Um, a letter from Topspin Partners said it has retained legal counsel and a cybersecurity firm to investigate the attack. Uh, New York State law itself requires entrepreneurs to notify, enterprises I should say, uh, to notify affected state residents, the state attorney general's office, the state police and department of state's division of consumer protection over there as well. Uh, data breaches generally are not disclosed to the public, but it's unclear how many New Yorkers in a sense were affected. Uh, granted, I know my, my parents actually had one of these problems one time where apparently my mom had signed up for, I don't know, somebody had signed up for a gift card or a credit card or something, but there was apparently someone who also had the same name, and so then they almost lost their house and stuff. It was a whole big deal. It was a whole thing. But granted, how do we think about these data breaches and things like that for uh, consumer information-wise? I think they're really concerning because I don't understand them that much. So it's when you, I don't understand something that is a threat, then – it concerns me, and I think I'm in the, the boat with a lot of people in that regard where we don't really know what's going on with what is safe on the Internet, what's not safe, um, you know, what information of mine can be accessed. And when you look at the cybersecurity attacks that have happened over the last year or two, even just locally, there's people going after airports, there's people going after uh, just so many different industries in data breaches and cybersecurity attacks that you just wonder what is the limit of how far can they go as technology improves and is there a way that is being worked on? I know there's cybersecurity companies that try to block it and there's the email protections. Every once in a while they get those emails that it's, it'll say something like your email was attempted, somebody attempted to breach your email and your information, but we stopped them. And how do I even know that that's true? And so it's just so many different variables with cybersecurity and data breaches that I have no idea where to even start. If you want a bit of a mini breaking news as of about five minutes ago on, guess what? Data breaches. Uh, so according to CBS News, at least 17 members of Congress had sensitive information exposed in a data breach. Uh, so this is actually uh, from hacking of the District of Columbia health insurance data system. Uh, so actually you have a couple of uh, members. Actually, it's current or former members of Congress having their personal information exposed uh, over there, according to CBS itself. Uh, so granted, this is the hacking of the D.C. Health Benefit Exchange Authority data system. Uh, that had about uh, three investigations and a federal civil lawsuit against the D.C. government there uh, to figure out through there uh, if anything else. Uh, so granted, lots of other uh, data breaches going on through there. But then how do you like effectively deal with those data breaches then because you can only have so much security as you mentioned there's always going to be hackers out there trying to go and steal your information no one has lifelock all the time they can't just use that so what what can you work through that if anything i have no idea because i have to assume that every major country in the world is trying to get information on opposing countries all the time and putting so many resources into it so how does somebody that is trying to create cybersecurity software and protect against it, how do you create something that's a step ahead of groups like that with massive resources? Because you just don't know where they're going to go next. I'd have to assume hackers are pretty clever people when they do it. And how do you just how do you know what technology they're going to use or how to stop it? It's one of those things where I feel like it'll be a new kind of attack. They'll stop that attack, but you're already too late to stop. You stop everything after the fact. You find a way to to prevent it after it happens once or twice, and then on to the next one. Trying to stay just step for step with hackers and cybersecurity sounds like it's impossible, but who knows? I don't know enough about software and and the data systems and whatever the internet has to do with anything. I don't know enough about it. 
if if you want a third uh, data breach that happened, because <laughs> yeah, why not? It keeps happening. Uh, Ferrari actually had a data breach uh, not even a couple. It was about uh, 13 hours ago. It was reported over here uh, from bleeping computer. How about that? Uh, but granted, uh, it actually did uh, expose customer information for names, addresses, email addresses, and telephone numbers in there. Um, granted, no super big personal data uh, when it basically comes. Uh, to anything for bank account numbers or anything like that, uh, but still something to look out for. So it hits every industry, though, and that's the hardest part. Uh, but then you think of, well, the tech companies probably have all this, you know, really big infrastructure to keep their information safe, but what's to say that other places don't get hacked? I remember we had a Hofstra. There was that email that, like, the the faux email that came out mm -hmm. from, like, the president or something, and everybody was like, this is a real email, but then it wasn't. It was a whole thing there. So even here, there's problems that happen with it. And then you had the situation, not to bring it up, because I, I, I don't want to bring up political events from years ago, but you had the January 6th situation where somebody, and it's not never has to be that drastic of a situation, but how many times do people, I mean, here at the station, how many times do people just leave their email logged in? Mm -hmm. And so you'd think that also probably happens in other places, not just here at WRHU when the PCs have their emails logged in, but it's it's so hard. With, with the internet, it's so difficult to just keep your private information under wraps because the amount of stuff you have to put it into and the amount of scammers that are calling people trying to get your information and a lot of it you you know we kind of know growing up in the generation what is real and what is not yep. for the most part but it's people are getting taken advantage of every day in so many different ways it's not just a guy in a dark closet and a black hoodie up doing <laughs> on his laptop hacking everyone it's people that i mean i could if you walked out right now i could go right into your email that's right and so there's probably people that would actually do that i'm sure that there's nothing i would find in your email of great value nah, <laughs> but nah. um it's there's just so much access to everything that anyone can actually hack and get information from anyone in one way or another it's that beaver vendetta style i know the uh, the old one there but I, at least for me i use like the two-factor authentication i don't know if you do that i have that too that, that's what i was talking about before and sometimes i get emails that say it worked but how does that even work what is that uh, how do i know that it actually worked and you don't just want me to like, i guess you signed in i don't know i mean because <laughs> well because they'll do it where it's like yeah you know you sign in and then you get the thing on your phone or whatever they have like a, i use like the g authenticator one for yes, google so that that's one, the one that's online but that one's great because you know how many bings you get on your phone being yeah. like oh pin 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 but this one is just yeah and you can do it offline too so if your wi-fi is yeah. not working it's I, good i always forget when when this topic comes up those emails that are Somebody signed into your Netflix from Pennsylvania. Mm. Those are cybersecurity emails because it's just letting you know there's somebody in your account here. Is it somebody you know or is somebody in, into your sign-in taking your information? So it always does tell you and keep track of the IP location of who, where somebody's signing in. Yep. So you don't necessarily know who, but you know where someone is and then you know if it's a problem or not. And then you're weary of it. You're ready for it. So that's good. Yeah. So when you get those emails, you should not ignore them. Yes, definitely. Definitely don't ignore those. If you get any security risks, please make sure to go contact your internet service provider or whoever you have for your company uh, to go and make sure your data is safe uh, for you and yourself. So you'll have that. We're going to take a quick uh, momentary pause, and then we are going to go, of course, across the pond there. Uh, Fictionally, that is, uh, over for Ted Lasso after the fact. So we'll see you all then. Hey, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call, only on 88.7 FM WRHU. After oh, yet another great song break from DJ Luke Farrell, we are back live from the Richard Philip Cavalier Studio for Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. So if you watch Ted Lasso, maybe you would recognize that voice as it's the same singer from the theme song. That is why DJ Luke Farrell is incredible at what he does. But we will move into a story regarding Ted Lasso and more so regarding Jason Sudeikis, who plays Lasso. This week, if you didn't realize, the Emmy Award-winning TV show returned with their third season season. However, Sudeikis, who plays Lasso, made headlines for his appearance at the White House this week. In the show, one of the important messages that he bestows upon his team is caring for one another and looking out for your teammates, with mental health being a big storyline of the popular TV show. And he 
but the beliefs of the character certainly embody those of Sudeikis as he sat down this week with First Lady Jill Biden and spoke about mental health at the White House. The presence and messages from the Ted Lasso star all tie in with Joe Biden's unity agenda, which highlights mental health and encourages more politicians to pour their resources into what he considers a crisis. One of the many quotes from Sudeikis was, quote, while it's easier said than done, we also have to know that we shouldn't be afraid to ask for help ourselves. That does take a lot, especially when it's something that has such a negative stigma to it, such as mental health, and it doesn't need to be that way, end quote. I really like seeing a story like this because it shows that a show, that and whether you watch it or not, um, and if you don't, Luke, I would get on it. Very good show. Um, it's entertaining, good show, but it shows that the values that Sudeikis has as one of the creators of the show and that he gives to the character are actually those of him, his own values. And we know that he's been in the headlines the last year, give or take, because of the Olivia Wilde situation. In Ted Lasso, he struggles with mental health because right from the, the jump, you know that um, his wife, he's like separated from his wife and his son, and they live in America, and he is in, uh, like, as you said, across the pond, coaching a uh, soccer team. And so he misses his family, struggles with mental health, players on the team struggle with mental health, and it's a big key component to the show. So I do like seeing that he keeps it true to himself, both on the screen and off. Yeah, granted, I know there's a lot of aspects to there as well. I actually saw my mass media class. We had the one scene. It was like the it was the let it go scene or something. I think with the karaoke in, in like yes. the bar spot, and then he had to go outside and like had his whole uh, the mental breakdown over there. And so you really got to see all that aspect through that show, which I think is really important because a lot of times mm-hmm. you don't really see that aspect of mental health really on TV, if anything else. There, uh, there's so many different examples of it in the show which is one of the reasons i like the show a lot he goes to therapy right doesn't he have the whole yeah he goes to therapy and it's something that he declines over and over and over again because he's the he is so happy of a guy on the outside Mm -hmm. that's his personality is always upbeat make sure everyone else is doing okay and never takes any time for himself to really just sit there and vent and complain for a minute and it's almost to the point where before he starts going to therapy, they played it up so much because they wanted that breakdown in the show that it was almost annoying how happy he was all the time, that it felt like he didn't have any development. But clearly that's what they were going for because – and we all know people like that, I think, that are just always so outgoing, smile on. But you know that because we're all human. There's not a, a thing that – you know, there's always something that's bothering somebody. Any anything to expect in season three? That was that's really. Big. I know I heard it's possibly the last season, but might not be the last season. And yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I I liked watching the show. I don't even really remember what happened in the second season too much. Um, I just like watching because it it's one of those you don't have to commit too much to it, but you're just gonna enjoy sitting down casually watching it. There's not much of an investment emotionally, and it, you know when you watch shows that are like anxiety ridden mm. and. And there's so there's such a storyline. Euphoria is like every second there's something. Yeah, which going I on. actually don't watch Euphoria. I've never gotten um, the chance to even watch an episode. But like Breaking Bad was one of my favorite shows. Yeah. That's a show that every episode you're on the edge of your seat and you really have to commit to it. Ted Lasso, I could watch the first episode that just came out last week. I could watch that today after our show, and I could watch the next episode in five weeks. Mm. And it doesn't really change the viewing experience, you know. So, you know, a uh, laid-back show, good show. But the mental health aspect of the show is definitely there. Yeah, I'll just give, uh, give a quote from Sudeikis on here. He said, quote, No matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter who you voted for, we all probably, I assume, we all know someone who has or has been that someone ourselves, actually, that struggled, that's felt isolated, that's felt anxious, anxious that has felt alone, end quote. So I glad glad to hear that mental health's part of this agenda and they can bring people in for that. But I always wonder how much like celebrity endorsements really go so far as to doing things. Uh, I know Matthew McConaughey after the Uvalde shooting where he had his whole uh, press conference through there, uh, having some uh, speaking through that, and then how that really didn't get along, if anything, uh, for any momentum either. I mean, granted, I think mental health's more on a bipartisan end than, let's say, gun control or gun rights are, and so that could be something as well, but how much it really affects, I'm not really sure. 
because he had, we we talked about during the break the issues with Olivia Wilde, and yep. she had the don't worry darling disaster of a PR tour with Harry Styles and Florence Pugh during that movie that they did, mm-hmm. it, and it came out in the fall. And apparently, I haven't seen it, but the movie was a disaster, and the press tour was a disaster, and she was dating Harry Styles, and Sudeikis had he was in the news just catching strays the entire time because they just split up and he was like the victim of the whole situation because she left him to be with her. It was such a disaster. So you have to think that maybe that time of his life corresponding with a season that he also has his character go to therapy and now we see him talking about mental health issues you almost have to think it all means something greater for him even just in his life. Maybe he reveals a little bit of his private life through his show. That's how he's feeling. Those are his emotions as a guy who is in his show, separated from his wife, going to therapy, very happy-go-lucky, tries not to. So maybe for him that's symbolic to let fans know about his own life, how he feels, how what he believes in and what he's doing as Jason Sudeikis, not only as Ted Lasso. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of aspects that parallel through there, which is good, and hopefully not that salad dressing. I know that was a big thing. Yeah, uh, I did a story on that. Yeah, I here. remember that story. Yeah, we the, did we did salad Olivia Wilde salad dressing story, <laughs> and it was right before Thanksgiving. I said, if you want a good salad dressing, make that. I probably still have it somewhere on my computer. Oh and gosh. um, yeah, he lay. He, what was he? What he lay under under the car, so that she wouldn't leave because they were still living together, but they knew that. It was going in the wrong direction when they were kind of separated, living together, and she was bringing her salad dressing that she only makes for him to Harry Styles' house, and he was laying under the car so that she wouldn't... And I don't mean to laugh, but the salad dressing aspect of it is funny. Not the two of them, actually. No, no. But the salad dressing aspect... And I remember when we, we went through it, I didn't even think it sounded good at all. So I don't know. Maybe it was. It was it. a funny one, though. It was a good, a good report. That was a. I I don't know why I listened to that at some point, but I just did for one time. But <laughs> uh, before we close out today, we're gonna we're gonna do some hot takes, cause why not? Uh, here's some AP oddities that are listed over there in the Associated Press. So just just curious on yourself. Uh, so apparently yesterday, officials said that a mountain lion clawed a man in a hot tub in Colorado. <laughs> Uh, so I'll just read a little bit off of this. Uh, wildlife officials said Monday they are searching for a mountain lion that clawed. Oh my! I'm sorry. <laughs> this, <laughs> this isn't funny, but dang, they are searching for a mountain lion that clawed a man's head while he was sitting in a hot tub with his wife. <laughs> I'm sorry. At a rental home in central Colorado, the man was soaking in the in the in-ground hot tub in a wooded subdivision west of Nathrop on Saturday night when he felt something grab his head, according to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. He screamed at the mountain lion and started splashing water while his wife shined a flashlight at the animal. <laughs> I don't even know. You know, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't understand at this point. You know, do we, do we get, like, just random animals showing up at various places? I don't know how mountain lions will just show up <laughs> at, at hot tubs. They want to they want a good time. I don't know. You got to imagine being that guy, and you're just sitting in a hot tub relaxing enjoying your night, long day of work, yep. and a mountain lion comes up behind you it and whacks you in the head. Oh, gosh. Way to go to the AP oddities section. Let's go. We got a, another uh, animal through here. So apparently in Louisiana, uh, there's a deal for a family that actually keeps a pet nutria. Uh, and apparently nutrias are actually invasive uh, more so to the wetlands over there itself. They actually go and damage the land a lot through there. Um, but granted, the nutria frolics with their dog, snuggles in their arms, and swims in the family pool. Uh, so granted, I don't know if you ever see a photo of a nutria, but it kind of looks like a groundhog kind of a deal. Uh, so granted, if you can imagine a groundhog frolicking with a dog, uh, that's kind of your aspect over there. Uh, but granted, the family is, quote, beyond ecstatic about the fact they get to keep their pet Nutria uh, through there. And apparently it's a social media star. Uh, they're actually featured in TikTok videos. Uh, they're also in some other videos in the news. Uh, so granted, people, I guess, enjoy the animal being a pet there. But I don't know exactly how that works with the landscape, if anything else. In the picture on AP, if you go to APnews.com and then you go to Oddities, it's the second story as of now. Could be a third story any minute. 
but it's the second listed, and it's the Naria in the owner's arm eating a dog bone. So is this actually a domesticated animal at this point? I guess so. Being held, this is also not, not an ugly, disgusting animal, but definitely not one that I would want to keep as a pet. Probably it's supposed to be a pet because you know what happens if so, like with the you know the same thing like the mountain lion. Let's say one day one of them just gonna start clawing at you. Like what do you do? Leave it to Louisiana because this is where the story's from. There, there you go. If there's that would be in my top three to five states where I would expect this to happen, if any. All right, la- last one for today for you. This was about a week or so ago, but at the World Baseball Classic, uh, the Italian team actually had an espresso machine in their bullpen, uh, so they definitely enjoyed that. Uh, granted, uh, there's uh, this is the uh, quote from the Italy- – actually, Mike Piazza, of course, former Met, uh, who is the manager for Italy over there. He said, we are, uh, uh, are kind of shocked, actually, because this is something in Italian culture that's sort of like water. I mean, coffee would be right after water uh, in terms of what they need uh, for their own supplements over there for the Italian team. So I guess, hey, if you need some coffee and you need some espresso, you got the bullpen. So that's, that's what, good for what them. What is espresso? Is it just light coffee? You know, I really don't know what an espresso is. I mean, um, I, so brewing method of Italian origin in which a small amount of nearly boiling water is forced under nine to ten bars of pressure. I have no idea what this means. I All don't right. know. It's just basically Italian coffee, I guess. Oh dang! Actually, you know what? Just for another last minute one, why not? <laughs> uh, two missing Florida boaters found dead in Lake. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> Bad time to laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> Two missing Florida boaters found dead in lake near Legoland. Uh, so what? <laughs> you know they they it's took the a head. The problem with that is the headline yeah. is, is designed to make you laugh because they had to put near Legoland. You know it was probably very brick too. I guess. Uh, but yes, uh, Central Florida Lake near Legoland theme park. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, um, but granted. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly how that worked through here, but it said that apparently uh, uh, authorities have been summoned when a 10-year-old girl on the boat dialed 911 on a cell phone. That child and an 8-year-old girl remained on the boat as it drifted and were rescued safely by deputies aboard a fishing boat. Uh, so granted, I guess there's that. You know, sometimes you just find these headlines, you're just like, what in the heck happened yeah, yeah, with for that? For March 10th, vehicle crashes in airport terminal, and the picture is it. it's inside the airport, oh the car. Oh, my gosh. What was that? What was the movie? Airplane, right? Didn't they have a whole thing where the airplane kind of goes through the airport? Who's in that? And, Any idea? Yeah. What, who's in it? There's a movie? Is yeah. It, it was uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's in there. There's a few yeah, other. Yeah, I've never seen that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's not bad. It's all right. But and otherwise, before we get going, Kevin, what what's it looking like this week? What do we got? Um, not much. Uh, World Baseball Classic. I'm a big sports fan, so World Baseball Classic Championship is tonight. Unfortunately, it Italy's espresso machine will not be in it. Dang. But United States plays Japan at 7, so I'll be oh, watching there we that. Go. I will, actually, I'll be here for the Islanders game tonight. So, uh, big week for the Islanders here. Who are they playing tonight? Tonight they play – let me pull it up quick. They play big game tonight against the Maple Leafs, Toronto Maple Leafs. So, okay. So oh, he, John Tavares. He's yeah. going to – uh-oh. We will be here tonight for the big one, and – yeah, so other than that, I got not much going on. What do you have under busy schedule this week? It's it's admissions, really. You know, I'm around there for a good week. And then after that, it's back to school. Next week, we're starting up, and it's almost April. I can't believe it. Also, spring just started yesterday. I forgot about that. So first oh, yeah. day of spring was technically yesterday. Uh, so definitely enjoy. I know we already talked about weather today. It's going to be nice uh, and sunny. So definitely enjoy if you're out here in Hempstead over here in New York. Uh, but wherever you are, I hope you indeed have a good day if that's the case. We are going to go throw it over on there to Off the Charts next. So please tune into the One Wake Up Call again every Monday through Friday, usually 7 to 9. But we are going to go into automation for this 8 to 9 o'clock hour. But otherwise, have a good one, everybody. And we're going to see you all next week.